Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. So the last 16 is underway with the USA and Australia heading home. Messi is through to the last eight with Kylian Mbappe also eyeing a place in the quarterfinals. England's knockout campaign gets underway against African champions Senegal at the Albait Stadium. It's day 15 in Qatar. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. So we loved it so much. Yesterday, we are back at the Souk Wakif to uh, have this as our location for today's podcast episode. And as it was yesterday, the atmosphere is just gradually building around us. We've had uh, rather sort of um, handsome, uh, impressive men on horses walking past. Clip, clop, clip, clop, they went. And uh, I've also had a cat in my bag which has been interesting as we've set up for this uh, podcast. Ollie Kay and Jack Pitbrook are alongside me. It's a nice sort of start to the day, this. I'm just seeing some England fans just sort of walking past as we speak, just getting ready for a, a big day ahead. Yeah, it's, it's the first time I've been in the souk at this time of day. It's normally kind of quite, uh, quite wild and lively in, in the afternoons and evenings when I've been before. Um, the morning, it's yeah, it feels feels quite nice and chilled out, and the sort of atmosphere gently, gently, gradually building. But it's uh, no, it's it's, it's, a, it's a nice um, it's a nice setup. Although I keep having to remind myself that it's uh, it's a reproduction souk. It was yes. built in two thousand six, I think, and it was um, so. This is this is this is sort of portrayed as the old part of town, but it yeah. but it's not. Well, I suppose <laughs> it is relative to most of the rest of it. Yeah, it is it is faux, but it is still quite um, quite a sight here um i suppose it's interesting as well on the day of an england game i suppose maybe at other tournaments you'd have england fans already in on bars it. on it <laughs> with yeah. pints in front of them which is it's lovely to see that they're they're not already yeah it's uh that has been one of the big differences about this world cup compared to other tournaments has been the the change in behavior and atmosphere necessitated by the lack of alcohol like it's not that you I mean, That's it's not just the journalists. Yeah, it's not that you can't drink here; you can. But having you know a lot of England fans take over a square and drink pints of beer all day, which of course has you know been a feature of all the last few tournaments, that just isn't a factor here, here at all. I I have not seen, or I mean, I might be there might be an instance that I've missed, but I haven't seen or heard of any incidents with England fans mm. regarding you know alcohol, antisocial behaviour, all those like associated factors that you usually get. We're just getting a we're just getting a finger pointing in the air from Abby Patterson, who's producing the show, just saying, "Well, maybe I've seen a few, but no, I think you're absolutely right that the atmosphere on that on the whole has been a lot calmer, and you even if you are at a hotel 
and you're in the bar or you're at a bar in town or whatever, there is that period of time where you just, just chill out, get into the game, you're not drinking at the ground and you can go and enjoy the game to a certain degree. It's not ramping up and up and up and up. We've digressed slightly onto alcohol. Let's focus on the action. We'll have much more from Jack and Ollie to come, but let's get some reaction now to that first day of knockout action with the United States. Unfortunately for them, one of the sides knocked out of the tournament. Abby caught up with our US men's national team writer, Sam Stayscale in the mix zone after the defeat. Sam, it was a tough night, a tough watch. Um, some of your emotions coming out of uh, this loss. Yeah, uh, I feel like the U.S. left something on the table because of how poorly they performed in this game. This was by far for me their worst game of the entire tournament. Uh, it felt like they didn't switch off once defensively from a mental standpoint during the group stage, not one time. They gave up some chances, conceded a goal on a penalty, on a, on a mistake, um, but, but everything was engaged and everything was fought for. And tonight, they fell asleep three different times and they gave up three different goals. And do you think that's just the, that was the difference? It was just those defensive errors, or do you think it comes down to yeah. a bit of emotion, tiredness? I, I think a little bit of, of both. Ooh, the lights have gone out on us here in the mix zone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think in the dark. I think a little bit of I think a little bit of fatigue went into the the switching off. You know, you saw Tyler Adams on the first goal failed to track Memphis Depay. It was a long run forward, and it was a wonderful team goal by the Netherlands. But Tyler Adams doesn't fail to track runners. Like that's not what he does. And and you saw that happen tonight. And I think. Given how they played in the group stage, the intensity and the emotion and the style in which they played, which is so much high intensity running, especially from the midfielders, it's natural that they would be a little bit tired in their fourth game in quick succession. I think we saw that. And then the other part of it is the Netherlands were ruthless when the U.S. fell asleep. The Netherlands fell asleep on a couple of occasions, too. Once very early in the game, Christian Pulisic had a one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper that he hit right at him. And then once later in the match, when Haji Wright had a one-on-one -on -one off of a terrible turnover, and he took a bad touch and cut off his own angle. So the U.S. was not ruthless in the Netherlands box. Netherlands was ruthless in the U.S. box. And we're back in the light again. Um, what are the positives that the team yeah. can take? I think in the group stage, they really met the moment. You know, there are a lot of questions that I had entering the tournament about... All right, this team is talented, but but are they really going to step up when it's when it's time and, and when it's against high-level opponents? And I think they did in the group stage. I thought they performed pretty well in, in all three games. Uh, I thought they should have beaten Wales. Uh, they of course didn't, but they certainly outplayed them. I thought they outplayed England over the over the duration of the match. Um, and then Iran, they were dominant in the first half, and Iran threw the kitchen sink, and the U.S. got a little defensive, but they held on. And that was a really dominant, I think, mental, emotional performance in that second half. And then you know tonight. They fell short, and I think a little bit of that was fatigue. A little bit of it was was lack of lack of ability, lack of talent, especially up top. Um, but I think overall they can be pretty pleased with how they performed at the tournament, even though the end is certainly going to feel bitter, and it's going to feel that way for a long time. For you, what needs to happen in the next four years for the USMNT to really prove themselves as being competitors at the later stages of knockout tournament? Yeah, so I think the, the young guys on the team who are talented in, in carrying things forward need to continue to improve, first and foremost. Christian Plisic, Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna, who we did not see much of this tournament, Eunice Musa, who I think could be an absolute star on the world level um, before too, too long. If they continue on their trajectories, I think the U.S. will be in a, a decent position. I think that, but the main thing for me, they need to find maybe some answers at center back. A couple of aging guys in there now. They have some younger guys in the pool that would have been at this tournament had they not been hurt. Miles Robinson and Chris Richards. Can they develop into better players? Uh, and then striker. We saw that tonight. They, they don't have one. 
And if you don't have one of those, you can you can do well in a tournament, but it's going to cost you at some point. We saw it cost him tonight, and, you know, we'll see. I don't, I'm not sure there's one in the pipeline in the immediate future, honestly. We'll go to 2030 instead, then. Yeah, exactly. No, Sam, thank you so much um, for speaking to us, and uh, good luck on your journey home. But, of course, we've got to talk about the Netherlands. They are the team that are through to the quarterfinals. Though not on the score sheet, their top scorer is still Cody Gakpo, and he has been speaking with The Athletic's David Ornstein. There wasn't huge expectation on this Dutch team coming into the tournament. So does this give you belief that you could cause something of a surprise and go much further? Yeah, we... We believed in ourselves from the from the from the start, and we, we come here with a with a goal, and just try to become world champion. And we believe in that, and we're gonna fight and improve every day. And yeah, you've had a fantastic tournament yourself. Another good performance tonight. The world is talking about your future. Do you expect to make a move in January? Uh, yeah, to be honest, I'm not. Uh, thinking about that now, I'm just really focused on the tournament and try to keep performing well, keep helping the team, and uh, uh, hopefully when we become world champion, uh, we're going to think about other Is things. It's hard to concentrate with that speculation going on all around you. No, not really, because uh, yeah, I just what I said, try to keep focused, and also the other players uh, don't really speak about that kind of things and really help me also in the in the situation. Will that decision on your future be taken after the tournament, nothing during the... Yes, after. Well, that was Cody Gakpo, one of the wanted men in the Dutch camp, speaking to David Ornstein after the game. There's much more from David on The Athletic at the moment, on the transfer news, as you would expect, including the star of the show for the Netherlands against the United States, Denzel Dumfries, on interest from Chelsea. So you can go and check that out. Um, Argentina, they have made it through with Lionel Messi scoring on his 1,000th game to set up a quarterfinal showdown now with the Dutch. And James Horncastle was there as Messi made more history. What a privilege that was to attend. Um, a round of 16 game between Argentina and Australia. You know, it may not be what Argentina, Brazil is, but uh, to see Lionel Messi uh, at full time, take a break to just savor the moment and smile, join his teammates bouncing up and down singing, join the fans in concert as well, um, was great because yeah, the last fortnight has not been easy for him, hasn't been easy for Argentina. Um, going back to the, the shock, the upset against Saudi Arabia, all the pressure that brought on him and this team, um, how tense they played against Mexico. You saw that in the celebration for, for Messi's opening goal. After all that, um, to see him enjoying himself in what will be his last World Cup was, it really stirred the soul. You know, Argentina, in some respects, got a little bit lucky tonight. Uh, I think on the balance of play, they deserved um, to go through. But Australia came back. Um, they gave them a scare. Still Bayic, what a wonderful run. Oh, Bayic! Going for Lisandro Martinez to get in a, a, a huge block. You know, on the whole, there is this excitement uh, amongst the Argentina players, which I think has been discernible really since um, the uh, the Poland game before kickoff of that game, because, you know, that was when they, they realised that the draw was opening up for them. Um, that this Argentina team that, you know, on the eve of the tournament thought they were probably going to get Denmark in the round of 16. And then after losing to Saudi Arabia, thought they were going to get France. They got Australia instead. And um, they played as if 
they were confident of going through, they are through, and the quest for their tetera, the uh, third World Cup title in Argentina's history, it goes on. Meanwhile, Argentina have made it through with Lionel Messi scoring on his 1,000th game to set up that quarterfinal showdown with the Dutch. It, it's a, it's a mouth-watering proposition. It's got history, that fixture. First, your, your thoughts on, on Messi being front and centre. It's no surprise, is it? And he was, he was impressive enough, even though the Australians did make it sort of maybe an unexpected battle at the end. Yeah, it, it ended up being quite tough for Argentina to get over the line. Australia produced a fairly commendable fight back in the, in the closing stages with that deflected goal and the chance very, very late on. But it was, yeah, it, it felt like it was all about Messi. I mean, every Argentina game seems like it's all about Messi. I think even perhaps more than previous World Cups, all eyes are on him. And I don't think the supporting cast is necessarily as glamorous as it has been in the past. But he's he you know he's he's playing brilliantly is, is he producing the performance level at his very 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 peak maybe not but i mean it's still best in the world standard and at the age of uh, is it 35 his 1000th game his 789th goal and what i was just left thinking last night was you know 789 goals that the quality of that particular goal would probably be in most players top 10 goals <laughs> in their career yeah. i mean Contain, you know, considering the moment as well as the quality of the goal, I doubt that even makes Messi's one, top 100. It might not even make his top 200 in terms of the technique. He's just an absolute genius with a with a football, and he's. I don't want to make it a, 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 an argument about um, wh whether he or another is the best of his generation, but I, I just look at him and just think he's he's completely on another level and always always has been. Jack, when you watch him live, and especially in this tournament, I think it's been highlighted by pundits and analysts, etc. And I've noticed it myself. It's the way that he conserves his energy, that walk around. And I know that's been yeah, common yeah, yeah. for a while. It's fascinating watching him. And he can just, in an ephemeral moment, just burst into life. And, and it's the precision, isn't it? He doesn't waste. He doesn't waste his time on inconsequential things the precision is amazing like if you look at his i mean i thought his goal against mexico was probably the best goal of the tournament so far just because he was so far out he had such a tiny space to put it in into the bottom corner beyond ochoa and he did it perfectly and yesterday was obviously you know that's from, from closer range but it was still a very very difficult goal to score like he had he again he was aiming for a very specific corner of the goal he was surrounded by australian defenders he was he didn't have that much space or time to pick his spot and hit it and yet he still manages to find exactly the right place you know it was a it was a brilliant piece of technique like ollie said if it was any other player it would be kind of miraculous and yet for his messy it's just sort of routine i just want to say um david ornstein and i were watching the game last night in our hotel had arabic commentary going on now i don't speak any arabic however i can translate the commentary for when messi has got the ball in the final third it is literally Messi, 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 Messi. It's so much expectation that what is about to happen is going to be some moment of genius. Uh, and quite often, in, as it was, it didn't quite happen, but it was fun. That, but that's a really good, good point. And I, in terms of the expectation level of the Argentine fans, obviously that's outside the, fa the fan base. That is just commentators being, you know, entranced by his spectacle. But when you're at games with those Argentine fans, the expectation 
is that potentially going to become stifling in, in, in any way? Or is it, is it the great motivation that, that might see them over the line and see Messi get his World Cup? I worry a bit that they are on such an emotional roller coaster. You know, they were so bad against Saudi Arabia. And since then, every game has been a big emotional event with huge celebrations at the end. And I just wonder if it's going to take up to, it's going to consume so much energy that eventually they'll find themselves exhausted and liable to get picked off. You know, this has happened to them in previous are we, tournaments. Are you wishing that, Jack? No, not at all. I'd love them to win it. I would love Argentina to win it. But I think, it's, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but I just wonder if it could be a little bit like Brazil in 2014. Obviously, they were hosting that tournament, but they had, they were on such an emotional journey that eventually their, their kind of heads went and they got destroyed by Germany in the semifinals. So, um, yeah, I, let's wait and see how they do against the Dutch. But I've got a sneaking suspicion Holland might be able to do them. And we're actually sat in a... Um in an Argentine cafe here in the in the souk, which I'm sure ahead of their next game against the Dutch will be um, will be a location for the Argentine fans. Uh, some Poland fans have just sat down uh, around us ahead of their game against France today. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Yeah, look, we scored the, the most goals in in the tournament so far in the group stage got a really good defensive record obviously in the last couple of games especially with clean sheets so yeah I feel like we're in a good place I've said before the group stage is just about getting through we had a good one we finished top we we done our job and now it's almost a, a second competition of, of knockout football so yeah we have to be prepared to yeah to face a really tough side tomorrow and yeah be ready for anything that comes our way so that was the England captain Harry Kane on England's progress through the group stage and looking ahead to the start of the knockout phase against Senegal today. They've reached the semi-final and the final in their last two major tournaments. Ollie, it was interesting hearing from Gareth Southgate and, and Harry Kane yesterday in that news conference. And they sort of alluded to it at a couple of moments, basically sort of highlighting the fact that they feel and this might be this might be their downfall. They feel tournament savvy. They have that sort of feel of no, 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 no. We're we're quietly in control here. Do you think that that's you know, like Jack talking about Argentina, you know, maybe 
doing themselves in with too much pressure. Do you think this is England, maybe some complacency, or do you think this is actually really, really impressive that they're keeping cool and calm? They didn't get carried away with that USA draw and then they kicked on and have done what they needed to do so far. Well, I mean, I guess the <laughs> we'll find out tonight. Um, <laughs> you know, it could it could go spectacularly wrong. I mean, I I think it's a, a bit of a banana skin kind of game. I think a lot of people are expecting England to just roll Senegal over, and I don't think it's going to be as easy as that at all. Um, yeah, I, I think I think looking at the way they've spoken and also the way they've performed in the last the last two tournaments and, the, and this one, they do seem tournament savvy they do seem in control and they do seem you know a lot calmer than perhaps we've seen at previous previous tournaments calmer but also assured and quietly confident and I think I think you know a lot of that comes to the manager a lot of it comes from the way they performed in in the last two tournaments and it kind of gives you that measure of of or that level of assurance and confidence that you know you do feel more in control I think I think you know I think maybe one of the reasons why Germany, for example, haven't performed as well at the last uh, at this tournament is because the the failures at the previous two tournaments. So maybe maybe it becomes a self perpetuating thing, and maybe you do just feel more in control of yourselves after a couple of good tournaments. It's maybe it's about breaking a cycle and having that first good tournament, which England had in 2018. Jack, do you think that they will take great confidence in the fact that they are the top scorers from the um, group stages, or do you think that's almost immaterial because they were sort of I mean, Iran, we're talking about pressure and, and off-the-field issues um, dominating players' minds. Iran weren't really at it in that first game that we, we saw them at it against Wales. And then the game against Wales for, for England, Wales weren't really up to the standard, were they? So do we read too much into it or, or are we not giving them enough credit? I don't think it especially matters that they were the top scorers. I do think they will be pleased with the fact that I don't think anybody had a better record over over the group stages than England did. I think that the fact that, you know, good teams didn't make it through the group stages, whether that's Germany or Denmark, that shows that, as Ollie was saying, England have really I mean mastered might be too strong a word, but they've really they've got a, a good handle on how to get through these difficult group stages. You know, Southgate is a very has a lot of experience. He's got a lot of uh, England play with a lot of kind of competence and nous and canniness, and they are just very good at smooth, smoothly negotiating these phases, which in the past England teams have struggled with. One of the big issues, and it's sort of been dominating ever since, well, almost pre-kickoff against Wales. Wow, he's made a big decision. You know, he's 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 switched things around. We were expecting changes to that side, but now it's whether he switches it back, and he brings back Sterling and he brings back Saka. What's your gut feeling from from what he said yesterday, or, or is it still up in the air? Jack, let's start with you. Well, he's, Southgate is keeping his cards very, very close to his chest. You know, normally by now you would expect to have more a stronger sense of what the team is going to be. Uh, with I think a lot of people are still in the dark, even on the morning of the game. I think Southgate doesn't want news to get out about the team. Um, my gut sense is that he will go back to the team, a team similar to what we saw in the first two games. I think Walker will stay. I think Mount will come back in. And then the big question really is in the wide areas. And I think at least one of Sterling or Saka will come back in. But I wonder if Foden might, might keep his place. I, I bet against Rashford starting at this point, I think. What do you think, Holly? What, what do you think he should do? Oh, I, I think it's... 
I don't want to say it's much of a muchness because the you know if you talk about Sterling and Saka and Rashford and Foden, they're four very different players. They all bring different things, and um, but I think in terms, I, I think they've all made a claim. Judge Sterling and Saka on the on the on the first game against Iran, rather than the second game against USA, where everyone really was a bit below par. Um, as I said, because they all bring different things, I think that's what you've got to look at, rather than necessarily which play you think is better, which play you think is more in form. You've got to look at what suits the setup more, whether it's whether it's Sterling or Rashford, whether it's Saka or or Foden. I was interested to see. A couple of reports last night suggesting that Foden was going to start, and I, we, we at the time of recording we we don't have that information. But I was slightly surprised by it because I, I I thought Foden was perhaps starting from a, a bit of a disadvantage into or sort of starting from further back in in Southgate's estimation for for these games. I thought Saka and Sterling both played so well in the first game, and and although Foden scored and he had a hand played a part in the first goal with the, with the run it got where he got brought down for the free kick. Um, I don't think he was as, as involved or as influential in that Wales game as anybody who watches Foden regularly would, would imagine and hope he would be. I, I thought he was still quite peripheral for most of the game. His quality is obvious, but I think he's, he's slightly... I don't think he's necessarily as comfortable a fit in this England team as, say, Saka or Sterling is. Jack... It's an interesting one with this selection issue. I wanted to ask you another question on it because ultimately this is the sort of moment that has the potential to test this speak of unity. We're all together because these are big decisions because quite rightly, Foden or Rashford, if they are sat back on the bench, will think, well, hang on a minute. I thought you, as you highlighted and as he'd highlighted, thought this was about meritocracy. You've gone back to tried and tested, so I'm just I'm fascinated to see what happens first and foremost. But then, is there the potential for a little bit of unrest, or do you not think that this is part of the the England DNA? I no, I I do think there is a potential for players to be unhappy at not playing. I'm sure that Foden on Foden and Rashford would feel upset if having played so well against Wales, they didn't play against Senegal. I actually think the big flashpoint here is Raheem Sterling. Yeah. You know, Raheem Sterling has started basically every big game for England, certainly since the 2018 World Cup. He's one of Southgate's most trusted players. Southgate was very loyal to him during the 2018 World Cup, during the Euros last year. But if he... I think there's quite a big chance that he doesn't play today. And if he doesn't play, that would be a huge change of policy from Southgate to not play Sterling in a big is game. Is that just simply evolution? It just happens? Maybe it is. You know, Sterling hasn't really played very well in club football for quite a long time. So maybe maybe it is justified. But I'm sure that Sterling would find that very difficult to take. Um, the other factor here is, and I, I have no idea how much of a factor this is, but it's worth flagging. Do you remember when after the... Um, when England played USA and Sterling was subbed off and Sterling walked straight down the tunnel? So afterwards, Gareth Southgate said... That Sterling had to go into he had doping control after the game, so that's why he had to he had to go off. Now maybe that's true, but equally, it's not inconceivable that Sterling w was not happy at being subbed off. Players usually are not happy at being taken off in big games, and it's also not inconceivable that if he were to have a strop, but I'm just speculating here, that maybe that would be itself be a factor in these in these uh, thoughts that Southgate was having so it's really going to be I think Sterling standing in the squad and with Southgate is one of the biggest topics 
connected to team selection today? Something that is not up for question, even though I remember on the uh, live show that we do on social media, uh, I asked Jack about Harry Kane, whether he plays or he doesn't. And I've, I've never seen someone bulk quite so uh, uh, visually <laughs> when I asked him about it. Obviously, there was lots of stuff circulate, circulating on, on social media about, oh, you know, is it time to, to drop Harry Kane? That's not going to happen. Uh, he's the captain. He was speaking, uh, I thought, pretty impressively ahead of the game yesterday. Do you think it does become a sort of a little bit of a worry in his mind that he hasn't scored? Or do you think he's just very cool, calm, comfortable? And if he is contributing, then he's he's content. I think the Harry Kane of maybe four years ago would have been very fretful if, if, if he'd gone into big games and wasn't yeah. scoring. I think he's much more comfortable with his role in the team and knows that if he's... Um, if he's playing a part in the games, if he's creating chances for others, if he's creating space for others, um, then then he's doing his job. I mean, I I think he, I haven't got alarm bells ringing in my mind about about the way he's playing. I, I think um, I, well, I'm, I'm certainly with Jack on on how crazy it would be to think of dropping him. But I think I think it's a situation where, for example, if he, if he's if he's you know if it gets to an hour or seventy minutes a day and he, and he and he just isn't in the game and England aren't performing and England needs something different I think it's perfectly plausible that you could consider taking him off or take him off and put Rashford or Wilson through the middle I think that you know I don't think he I don't think in these days of five substitutions and and you know tournament football I, I don't think he can be considered so untouchable that yeah that you, you persevere with him if he's playing poorly on on a given it's day it's not like a Graham Taylor Gary Lineker moment is it it's it... well no yeah I mean that that, that that felt shocking at the time I, I, I don't think I don't think it needs to feel that shocking these days if somebody gets uh, substituted when in an hour of in a moment of need but it's um yeah I, so I, I wouldn't drop him at all I wouldn't you know I, I would definitely start with him but I'd, I think maybe if he is struggling yeah there has to be a willingness to consider a plan B. I think Southgate would love to be able to take Kane off with 20 minutes left. That's been something that England have done quite a lot in the last few years is they have not, they don't want Kane to play 90 minutes every single time in a tournament because they know, they look, Kane actually talked about this in his press conference yesterday. If you remember back to the 2018 World Cup, Kane started really, really well. And even though he won the golden boot, he was actually rubbish in the, in, in the knockout rounds. Like he wasn't, he wasn't in the game at all. He looked injured, but he wasn't injured. He was just exhausted physically and mentally. And Kane's, you know, Kane has spoken very honestly about this. Um, so I think England want to avoid that scenario this time. And that means taking, you know, taking Kane off where possible with 20 or 30 minutes left. So if, if you know, touch winning, not winning this evening, then I'm sure that Kane will get the hook on 65, 70 minutes just to make sure he doesn't deplete his energy too much ahead of the next game. We shall see. And look out, obviously, for the, the team news on The Athletic. We'll be following it all the way up to kick off and then the reaction as well. But it's not all about England, however much we would like to think it is. Um, Senegal are standing in their way. And I caught up with Senegalese journalist uh, Mahmoud Gay for the lowdown on England's opponents. I think that uh, all Senegalese players are excited because Senegalese uh, team in the history of World Cup like to play against big teams. In the 2002, we are beat uh, the, the French team who win the, the World Cup. Watsu striding up in the centre here. Booba Drop is there. Oh, and Booba Drop is there. Senegal and scored the first goal of the 2002 World Cup. I think that the Senegal teams, the players, the fans, and the country are not afraid 
of England because with the the Afghan winner, they are they they have a great confidence, and now they they think that we can beat every uh, every 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 team. Sadio Mane with a chance for history for Senegal. Confidence uh, is growing uh, in the, this last game. In the, in the first game we play against Netherlands without Sadio Mane. It's the first time that Senegal team play without him. It, I think that it's normal that the coach try to find a solution to play without him. And uh, in this first game we play without Mane and it will be difficult for us. Now after, after the, the second game we play a great game. And the, the last game against uh, Ecuador, we are very progressed in the in the style of game and uh, the impact. And Ismail Asar uh, show shows that he can be a leader of this team. Cool as you like, Ismail Asar rolls Senegal into the lead. Since he come to to the national team, he do a great thing uh, every time. But. Senegalese people uh, think that uh, Ismail can do more, but this time without Sadio Mane, he have to to do that, and I think that he shows that uh, in the in the last game uh, against Ecuador. In this World Cup, we, they are shown that every team can play against other teams. They don't fear big teams. Why Senegal can't beat uh, England? It's possible. So it's great speaking to Mahmoud yesterday, who still has that great air of confidence of a man who has watched his team win a major tournament. They won AFCON, lifted the trophy in February. It was Sadio Mane who captained, scored the vital goal, but obviously he's not here. Also, Idrissa Gay, which is a real punch in the guts for them. He's suspended as well ahead of this game. So, you know, how, how are we seeing them as a, as a proposition? Yeah, that must be that must be a nice feeling, wasn't it? It must be a nice feeling for the for the media and the, and, and the fans as well. But it, it's um, yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, if you go back to was it was it January with the Afcon and the the, the the game against Egypt, the final against Egypt, and then the the same against um, Egypt in the um, in the playoff to, to reach the to reach the World Cup, and they were two absolutely sort of grueling, nail biting, excruciating games, which um, and they held their nerve on both. Both occasions. I mean, that that we talk about big game mentality. That that is it. You know, holding a nerve in those penalty shootouts, which England famously aren't very good at. We we haven't really talked about the possibility of penalties and how um, you know the wh whether the English neurosis has, has has returned after after the Euros um, could well go to penalties, couldn't it? It's um, well, if it does, Senegal have got someone mm. who I obviously follow very closely, covering Watford for, for the Athletic. Um, Ishmael Assar, who scored such a swaggery penalty with that no-look finish. I was so impressed that he would do that on the, on the world stage. It does show that if it does, if it does come down to a pressure moment, he's certainly up, for the, certainly up for the challenge. One thing England have been doing is uh, preparing for penalties with a skills net, which is basically a net with no, uh, I think, with no post or bar and no goalkeeper. So it's all about uh, being able to hit your corner of the net as well as possible. Um, but yeah, it's been a big topic of conversation in press conferences this week. Almost every day, England players get asked about how are you preparing for penalties? How do you avoid 
you know, what happened last time. And Southgate's had to say, look, you know, we actually had quite a good record at penalties before the final of the Euros. We, uh, you know, both in the Nations League in 2019 against Colombia in 2018. So I don't think it's something that England will be too worried about. You know what we've done there, gents? We've made it all about England again. Yeah, sorry. I want to talk about Senegal. And I want to talk about the, their potential and the challenge that stands in front of, of England. Yes, there is no Sadio Mane. We've, we've mentioned that. There is also, which is potentially for the confidence that they were building through this tournament from being competitive against the Netherlands, although they lost late, got back on track with a, a regulation win against Qatar and then a really confidence-boosting win against Ecuador. The fact that they've lost Idrissa Gay from their midfield engine room, that's that's got the potential to be actually quite significantly disruptive for them, do you not think? Yeah, he's a really, really good player. Um... Southgate was very positive about Senegal yesterday. He said, you know, just because there's no Mane, it's not going to be any easier for us. He talks a lot about how much he's seen of Senegal and the great spirit and unity that they have in their side. And also the fantastic individual players. You know, people will be very familiar with Mendy, Koulibaly, Saar, all, you know, all of whom are fantastic players. have had really, really good World Cups so far. And he's, I guess it's just possible that if, you know, we know that Mendy on a good day is basically unbeatable. Like, we, we, yeah. we've seen him do this in the past for Chelsea. If Mendy's at his best tonight, it's going to be very, really, really difficult for England to get past him. Very much looking forward to being at the game. We will, of course, uh, react off the back of it. And you'll get all the insight, the analysis, the reaction on The Athletic. Ollie, thank you very much. Jack, thank you to you. What, what do you do on a, on a match day before a game? Is it very much like preparing your mind for it? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, mate. I guess uh, I gotta. I gotta prepare. I you gotta, can simply say I'm just going for a walk around. I gotta think about what. I guess I'm gonna think what I'm gonna write if they win and what I'm gonna write if they lose. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe have a nap. <laughs> Good. A power nap and a pre-match meal, chicken and rice, and all that sort of chicken stuff. Chicken and rice. Lo lots of carbs. Lots carbs, of carbs and protein. Yeah. Yes, really absolutely. build up. Excellent. Okay. Uh, yeah. Get all the um, all the info you need on the Athletic. If you want to subscribe, head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Uh, you can pick up the latest deal, which is £2, $2 a month for 12 months. Um, there is also news on other things apart from England. We are covering the World Cup uh, in a fulsome way. News on uh, Brazil, potential of uh, Neymar getting back for their round of 16 tie against South Korea. Uh, Felipe Cardenas has also written about Uruguay's eruption of emotion at the end of their group stage elimination at the hands of South Korea. And there is much more as well. Um, but that is it for today. We will catch you tomorrow when England might be through or they might be out of the World Cup. We shall see. The Athletic. <laughs>